You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. renewed Five Eyes warning about potential Russian cyber attacks, the FBI warns of the threat of ransomware attacks against the agriculture sector. Our evil may be back in business. Carol Terrio shares insights on bug bounty programs. Our own Rick Howard checks in with Zach Barak from CoreLogics on where things stand with XDR. And beware of threats of Facebook account suspension. The CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, April 21st, 2022. The cyber authorities of the Five Eyes, that is Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, have issued a joint cybersecurity advisory warning that there are indications of Russian preparations and intent to conduct significant cyber attacks against critical infrastructure in countries who have sanctioned Russia or otherwise supported Ukraine. In specificity and detail, the advisory goes well beyond the normal run of government alerts. The Five Eyes Agency's warning is based on actual intelligence, and not merely on grounds of a priori possibility. They say, Evolving intelligence indicates that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks. Recent Russian state-sponsored cyber operations have included distributed denial-of-service attacks, and older operations have included deployment of destructive malware against Ukrainian government and critical infrastructure organizations. Additionally, some cybercrime groups have recently publicly pledged support for the Russian government. These Russian-aligned cybercrime groups have threatened to conduct cyber operations in retaliation for perceived cyber offenses against the Russian government or the Russian people. Some groups have also threatened to conduct cyber operations against countries and organizations providing material support to Ukraine. Other cybercrime groups have recently conducted disruptive attacks against Ukrainian websites, likely in support of the Russian military offensive. The explicit notice taken of Russophone criminal gangs suggests that privateering remains a prominent component of Russia's cyber capabilities. The advisory includes a summary of risk reduction measures infrastructure operators should consider taking against the eventuality of Russian cyber attack, It also contains a summary overview of the various Russian government organizations known to engage in offensive cyber operations. R-Evil, the ransomware gang that sustained the arrest of 14 members by Russia's FSB back in January, 
appears to be back in business, maybe or maybe not, under new management. Bleeping Computer reports that R-Evil's Tor sites are again in operation and that security researchers have found in particular that the gang's new leak site, Rutor, is being advertised in Russophone criminal-to-criminal markets. The U.S. FBI has issued a private industry notification warning of the threat of ransomware attacks against agricultural organizations during the planting and harvest seasons, Security Week reports. The Bureau notes that six grain cooperatives were hit by ransomware during last fall's harvest season, and two more were attacked in early 2022, which could disrupt the planting season. The FBI points out a significant disruption of grain production could impact the entire food chain, since grain is not only consumed by humans but also used for animal feed. In addition, a significant disruption of grain and corn production could impact commodities trading and stocks. An attack that disrupts processing at a protein or dairy facility can quickly result in spoiled products and have cascading effects down to the farm level as animals cannot be processed. And finally, Abnormal Security has released the results of research into a credential phishing campaign underway that uses a phishing site on Facebook as part of an effort to induce users to give up their login information. As usual, the phishing appeal relies on urgency to induce credulity into its prospective victims. They're told that their Facebook account is about to be disabled because they've been reported for posting inappropriate content, but that they can appeal their suspension at the link provided. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. The Cyberwire's Rick Howard recently spoke with experts at CoreLogics for their insights on Extended Detection and Response, XDR. Here's Rick. I'm joined by Zach Barak. He's from CoreLogic. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, great being here. So, Zach, uh, Gartner defines XDR as, quote, a unified security incident detection and response platform that automatically centralizes and correlates data from many proprietary security elements, end quote. But the real power behind XDR is the ability to use, you know, APIs to connect to any tool, not just security tools, but any tool that you want that we all might have in our security stack or in our environments. We collect the telemetry across the intrusion kill chain and run machine learning algorithms on it to find the previously unidentified bad guy activity. So if I'm a potential buyer of XDR services, the two things I should be looking for then is, number one, does my vendor know how to connect to all the tools in my stack, my technology stack? And number two, how good are the machine learning algorithms? So can, do you agree with me? That's the two things we should be looking for, or is it something different? No, no, I, I agree because A, integration is always a challenge and you've always got going to get uh, new services. Definitely in the cloud, you, you can see today that every day you get a new, let's say, SaaS service that is integrated into the core of the organization and is using the additional applications. Uh, or even the identity provider of the organization. And each one of those applications can make an organization vulnerable because you are as weak as your weakest link. So in that aspect, you are correct. And I think that the XDRs, one of their, let's say, challenges is to integrate as fast as possible to new technologies, meaning that they have to have tools that are accessible by user in order to parse logs that are coming in and have meaningful alerts set up not in days, but in minutes. In terms of machine learning, that's a big thing because I think that we saw it over the past few years that machine learning really helped a lot of organizations. And in security, I've got the feeling that it didn't deliver as expected. Machine learning generated quite a lot of, let's say, false positives. And when you have a false positive for security, the only thing that you can do is eventually you will ignore the system as a whole. So I do think that machine learning is very powerful. And I think that thresholds should be set in terms of machine learning. I'll give you two examples. One is, for instance, domain name scoring, which is, is the domain human-generated domain or is it something that was generated by a computer and maybe a hacker or a, a an attacker is trying to uh, utilize it in order to connect uh, his agent to a command and control. This is machine learning. And something machine learning algorithms are really good at doing, you know, deciding which is which. I mean, that's perfect a perfect application for yes. machine learning. Yes, so in, in that terms, machine learning is great. So if I'm already deeply invested in SIEM and SOAR tools, or both, does XDR replace them somehow? I think that XDR is, let's say, the natural evolution of legacy SIEM that were based on security logs. SIEMs are really good at storing lots of telemetry, right? Not so good at automating responses to it, but pretty good at storing lots of stuff. 
SOAR tools came along and gave us the ability to interact with seams and automate responses to it. So are you saying XDR also comes with storage, or are we going to use the SIMs to store everything and just use APIs to do, or how does that work? So as we see it, the XDR uses its own uh, storage, and it is basically the next generation SIM. You should have a very powerful backend that can parse and um, enrich the data and store it in different uh, storage tiers and do it on the fly and do it very quickly on one hand and give you the ability, if you have an investigation, to have all the logs available for the investigation itself. That's on one hand. In terms of SOAR, I think that's like a different field altogether, meaning that let's say that you do have alert. So then you can use the SOAR to have an automated response. But as I see it, these are two solutions that can complement each other, but are not necessarily related. Well, the one thing you can say is that the security community, there's always something exciting happening. It's always changing, okay? But uh, we're going to have to leave it there, okay? So uh, so that's uh, Zach Barak from CoreLogic. Uh, Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio has been pondering the utility of bug bounty programs. She files this report. So this might be surprising to some of you, but technology companies sometimes like to play ostrich, hiding away from glaring oversights. Here's what I mean. So imagine a technology company that was made aware of a vulnerability in their software. Those outside the industry might think that any company would jump with joy at this discovery and quickly rejig their schedules to get the problem resolved. You might even think that they would count their lucky stars, that it was never a point of unauthorized entry. But I have directly worked for more than a handful of tech firms out there that did not appropriate this approach. Instead, they might groan, schedule the fix with low priority, and just carry on, like nothing happened. Sometimes the flaw would not get rectified unless someone outside made a stink, forcing them, well, to do the right thing. Now, of course, this is not all technology companies. Some offer their very own bug bounty programs, inviting researchers and ethical hackers to hammer their systems or services in exchange for a fee, sometimes a few hundred, sometimes many thousands. Typically, well-known firms that do this are the big players. So you have um, Apple Security Bounty, Microsoft Bug Bounty Program, and Google Bug Hunters. We also have what I call bug bounty brokers, such as HackerOne, BugCrowd, or Synac. This is a place where security researchers can log bugs or vulnerabilities they have found in third-party software and use this intermediary service to negotiate terms, providing the research to the affected firm in exchange for a payout. However the negotiation takes place, I guess my question is whether it should include a commitment by the organization to fix the flaw. Take this example. In July 2019, Jonathan Leitsche found a pretty horrific security vulnerability in Zoom. Now, through BugCrowd, they approached Zoom with information on the vulnerability. 
Leitsche was offered some form of payment, but it was attached to a non-disclosure agreement. Now, reading between the lines, I suspect this NDA said, you can't talk about your discovery of this flaw to anybody, whether we fix it or not. The stakes were really high. The security flaw affected millions of Mac users. And in this instance, the security researcher cared that the vulnerability be addressed and rectified. So what does he do? He declines the bounty payment because of the bug crowd NDA gag and gave Zoom an industry standard 90-day embargo to ship a patch. Zoom unfortunately failed to do so. So after waiting the 90 days, Leitsche published his research. Can you guess what happened then? As CSO Online writes, Q fireworks. Zoom gets tons of negative media attention and ends up fixing the security flaw. It's like they needed to be strong-armed to do it. But here is the big cost. If the researcher has perhaps more malleable ethics, the vulnerability they find on your software could make them a ton more money on the black market. For example, in 2020, a vulnerability found in the Zoom video conferencing platform was on sale for £500,000. This was a full year after the 2019 Zoom snafu that we've been discussing. Perhaps this is what spurred Zoom to build its own bug bounty program. And today you can find that at zoominfo.com. But boy, did they go through a lot of pain to get there. So if you have a company that provides a technology that would benefit from hundreds of researchers around the world trying to poke holes in order for you to make it more resilient for your customers, a bug bounty program may just be the way to go. But be careful lowballing researchers or forcing them to sign an NDA because they may just publish their research anyway, or worse, go to the black market to get a fair price. This was Carol Terrio for the CyberWire. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.